patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fight Colorectal Cancer Tabuti podcast. My name is Sharon Worrell, and I'm the Senior Manager of Education and Research at Fight Colorectal Cancer. I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Yeager. Um, She is a board-certified medical oncologist who treats patients with gastrointestinal cancers. Her clinical and laboratory research center on understanding molecular subsets of colorectal cancer and anal squamous cell cancer and developing new therapies based on this understanding. Dr. Yeager has a particular expertise in using targeted therapies for these diseases. Dr. Yeager, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. So we are here to talk today about biomarkers, a little bit about what they are and how they ultimately could or or do affect colon and rectal cancer patients. So I guess to start, I mean, what... I mean, I know that you typically see uh, colorectal cancer patients, uh, patients with cancer in the anal canal. Um, Are you seeing biomarkers used with these patients? And I guess to begin, what what even are biomarkers? So that's a a great question. So I see um, a spectrum of colorectal cancer patients from patients who um, are recently diagnosed and are coming in to hear about um, the need, whether they need um, any further treatment with chemotherapy um, as they think about what to do sometimes after surgery or in patients who don't have surgery as we figure out what's the first step. I'm a medical oncologist, so what I uh, do in terms of treatment is I'm the one who administers the chemotherapy, but I follow patients. um, So patients who've had uh, surgery and are are hope to be cured. I follow them um, sometimes for years. And um, patients who are getting treatment, I follow them throughout treatment. And sometimes we take breaks and we start and stop treatment. So in order to do that effectively, we it's useful to have some markers to have ways to assess what's going on with the tumor. Mm. So a biomarker is really anything that can be used as an indicator of a particular disease. So it really has a broad definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I thought maybe easiest, I can give you a few examples sure. of biomarkers that we have and how we use them. Yeah, that would be great. So the, the, the first one I was going to bring up is CEA. So the CEA, um, which stands for carcinoembryonic antigen, is something that we follow in the blood. It's a biomarker that's used clinically um, in all our patients with colorectal cancer. And what it is, it's a protein that is made... Um, Uh, by the GI tract when uh, the fetus is developing and then then turned off. But some cancer cells turn it back on. So it's a way for us to have something that we can use to look at, uh, look for the presence of any cancer that's not normally there and something that we can um, look for using a blood test. So we often use the CEA to try to track extent of disease. So it's common to check with blood tests when patients are diagnosed. And then if they are being followed, say, after surgery, then it can be um, checked periodically to see if there's any sign that there may be something that's changed and maybe some evidence that there may be cancer there. It's also often used in patients who are on treatment. So if someone has more advanced disease, that they're on treatment continuously, 
if they start off with a CEA level that's detectable, it can be used um, as a marker to follow throughout their course to see is it going down with treatment, showing a, another evidence for us that they may be benefiting from treatment, or is it going up, um, showing us that something's going on that the tumor is able to make more CEA. Oh, interesting. The uh, CEA often changes before we see changes on scans. So when patients who are on treatment and we're checking CEA, some of the CEA will go up, which tells us something might be changing, but the scan, um, which is what we use as our best look at what's going on, um, often lags after the CEA. So it gives us an early marker of what's going on. So is CEA used for all stages of colorectal cancer? Yeah, it's used for all stages. So in patients who are um, early stage and we're hoping are cured, we check the CEA usually before surgery, and even if it's undetectable, it'll be followed while they're being uh, um, under a program of surveillance. Stage one patients don't always have as rigorous a program, and they may not have CEA levels checked after the initial uh, diagnosis. And does everybody experience changes in their CEA, or are there some patients that, that don't experience that? So for most patients, the CA can be a good marker, but for some patients, it's not a uh, good marker at all. So their tumor doesn't make CEA, and it is undetectable throughout the course of their disease. But in patients where it tracks and is a rough surrogate for us of um, what's the volume of disease, how much tumor is there to make CEA, then we can often see that uh, it will fluctuate based on the status of their disease. It's not um, as reliable. So we always use it in conjunction of looking at the imaging, but it's a blood test. It changes often quicker, so it can provide additional information. And it also can alert you if it's suddenly going up and you see nothing on the, on the image that maybe it's worth doing additional tests and thinking of other ways to image. Oh, okay. Great. Wow. Awesome. Thank you for the overview of CEA. Um, what other biomarkers are patients going to hear about when they're going to their oncology appointments? So in colorectal cancer, we also have some um, genetic biomarkers that we use. Um, these are uh, genetic markers that are genetic changes within the tumor. So rather than something that we've inherited, um, something that was inherited from mom and dad, that would be in all our cells. Instead, it's something that's um, actually in the tumor cells and that has allowed the tumor cells to develop and to grow. So one of those um, is a gene called RAS. So often uh, uh, patients uh, will be aware that their tumor is sent to evaluate if they have mutations, so if they have changes in this gene. And this is done in patients who have more advanced disease, so patients who have metastatic disease, where we have targeted therapies that are available, but we know that whether patients will respond depends on what's going on with this gene. So here this is a marker for us because it guides how we give our treatment. So it's not something like the CEA that fluctuates, but rather um, if it's altered, it's altered early. So once the tumor is detectable, you can test. You can test the colon tumor or you can test any metastasis. It is consistent because it occurs very early. And um, if it's altered, then it's useful information because it tells us that some target therapies we have are not a good choice. And if it's not altered, it tells us that we could try the target therapy. They have a higher chance of working. Interesting. And so you're saying that to test for this RAS uh, gene mutation, um, it, it's often done or it's only done on the tumor tissue itself. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. okay. Interesting. So I can give you an example of another biomarker, which is what we're excited about is kind of the up and coming 
marker. That's not so much yet um, in our regular clinical practice, but there's a lot of excitement in the community and a hope to shift from the research setting to use it clinically. Um, and that's something called circulating free DNA. So um, uh, all our cells shed a little bit of DNA, um, but cancer cells, especially if they are dividing quickly or maybe dying as they um, divide quickly and some cells don't get good blood supply, they tend to um, shed more DNA. And so you can collect a blood sample and actually get these small fragments of DNA and analyze them. So the idea behind circulating free DNA is that you can analyze these um, segments of DNA that have been shed from cells, and you can sequence them to determine if any of them have alterations. And the presence of alterations is usually associated with the tumor shedding as opposed to the normal cells, which are going to shed DNA that's not going to have the mutations that we identify as being cancer-related. So it gives us a way in the bloodstream to um, assess for the presence of cancer, and it also gives us a way to get information, not, not just like uh, a value yes, no, or um, uh, increasing amount, but actually to have some sequencing data. Wow. So there's a lot of excitement about it um, for what's called minimal residual disease. So one of the big challenges for us is if someone has surgery and our hope is they're cured, we know there's still some risk of recurrence. And it's hard to know who those people are. And we end up treating people just based on risk, but we're not able to individualize that further. So there's a lot of hope that using a test like the circulating free DNA, we could um, check the blood and say, well, is there any evidence that maybe something we can't see now, but that there's some cells that stuck around and that's telling us, well, this person still needs treatment, this person has a risk of recurrence, or is there no evidence and we can reassure that person and not expose them to the risk of chemotherapy? So that's an area of a lot of uh, now kind of embedding in clinical trials. Um, it seems like when the circulating free DNA is detectable, there, uh, it, it's a good marker that there's something going on. But when it's not detectable, sometimes the cancer cells are there but are quiet and aren't shedding DNA. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't always uh, match. There's nothing there. So still more research to be done for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Very exciting, though. That's That yeah. would be great to have. This may be a good marker for us to also assess response to treatment because the circulating free DNA will, will both give us a number, like how much is there, and so we can like the CEA see changes with treatment, but also can be sequenced so we can tell us, okay, well, these are the mutations that were there, but if we expose the patient to a drug that may uh, uh, create some uh, selective pressure on the tumor that's making it that only certain tumor cells are able to survive, those tumor cells may have other alterations, we could pick those up in the blood. So it allows us to, in real time, see what's happening to the tumor through a blood test. So that's why this is kind of an exciting uh, potential marker that um, is being studied in many clinical trials, both in figuring out um, how aggressive to be with patients who are early, and also how can we better direct our treatment in real time. So do you see this particular biomarker affecting the future of cancer care specific for colorectal cancer? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, circulating free DNA will probably become uh, in some way incorporated into our care. Patients who have positive circulating free DNA after surgery will probably have an intensification of treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, pro probably we're going to develop treatments where we're going to um, say, well, we're only going to look in patients where we know they need it, like those with circulating free DNA. So it's, it's, it's becoming something that um, is, is being tested in trials that we can maybe later on um, uh, be smarter with who we treat. 
Hmm. And you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, genetic mutations as being some of these biomarkers that, that we're learning about for colon and rectal cancer. So um, I know genetic testing is quite different than testing for biomarkers. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know there's some confusion around, you know, what, what's inherited and, and what's genetic through, you know, through your family versus, you know, the, the development of genetic mutations. Yeah, sure. Um, so everybody with colorectal cancer now will have some screening, usually of their tumor tissue, for something uh, for inherited forms of colorectal cancer, uh, which the most common is called Lynch syndrome, um, which can be done um, to look for what may have been inherited from mom and dad, where uh, people maybe have alterations in genes that are involved in. Uh, DNA proofreading. So normally our cells are growing, they divide, and every time we make a copy, there's always a risk there's a mistake. So there are uh, proteins that job is to proofread. And there's an area that's specifically vulnerable, which is areas where we have repeats. So if you're copying something where you have a lot of letters that are the same, you're more likely to get confused and drop one or add one. So there are proteins that are involved in proofreading that. People who have inherited alterations that affect that are more uh, likely to get colon cancer just because they're more likely to get these um, alterations. But um, um, those colon cancers can be screened for. So in someone who is diagnosed with colon cancer, it's we often say, well, they should have some genetic tests. So you can do a genetic test both by looking at someone's blood and saying, well, let me look at their no normal cells and see what genes are there. Or you can look at the consequence and we say, well, this is often inherited. We're going to look at the consequence. We're going to look if these proteins are involved in uh, correcting mistakes, if they're there the way they should be. Or if there, uh, another way to look for it, if these areas with a lot of repeat letters, if they're the same length. So people may hear the term microsatellite, that's these short areas um, of, uh, of letters that are either one or two letters are the same. So there's macro, microsatellite unstable as if the length of that changes, and that can be inherited. There are ways to affect this pathway that aren't inherited, but that's the most common genetic test that's done. But in addition to that, in our regular practice, we do testing of the tumor. So we often use the term genetic, but that's not looking at what's inherited and not looking at whether something happened that predisposed that person, but basically what has changed to allow that tumor to develop. And we talked about how that can be a marker, but actually some of the genetic uh, causes of colorectal cancer have become markers. So this Lynch syndrome where people have alterations that affect this proofreading and so they have these microsatellites unstable, they have these um, short segments where they can get alterations or uh, change the length of them, they have more mutations. And we now know that these patients can respond very well to immunotherapy. So it's, it's a marker for screening, but it's also a marker for us that if someone has advanced disease, that this is a good person to treat with immunotherapy because they're more likely to respond as opposed to most sporadic colorectal cancers that don't respond well to immunotherapy. So it sounds, I mean, and you mentioned this in the very beginning, biomarker is, is a very broad term, um, even when it relates to cancer care and cancer treatment. Um, so that's really important, I think, for, for patients to know and understand. Um, but it also sounds like it's really important for people to make sure that they know what biomarkers they have. So how, how do you recommend patients talk to their doctors and ensure that they're getting the appropriate testing and screening that they need? So that's a great question. 
Um, I think uh, patients should start by talking usually with a medical oncologist. And I think the, the questions I would ask is, is there any testing that I need to do to guide my therapy? And, is, and then I would additionally think of asking, is there any testing to further check in a patient who's had surgery for early signs of recurrence? And those are the two areas where now we have uh, biomarkers to help us. So guiding treatment, so patients who have advanced disease on treatment, and looking for signs of recurrence. I think listening to these uh, sessions, I think patients get empowered and they come to the doctor and they ask more questions and I think that's really good. And do biomarkers change over time? I know you mentioned CEA can go up and down um, and the circulating uh, tumor DNA also sounds like you know that's still in research. But for example, you mentioned the RAS genes. Do, could those change as a person's tumor? also changes? So it's, it's, as you've alluded to, some biomarkers change and some do not change. So the CEA is a, it's like any uh, lab test that gives us a value so that one can change over time. But the patient's um, RAS mutation status, we said, like we said in the beginning, it happens early. So if there is a RAS mutation, it's going to be there. And um, it's going to be there whether you test the colon or you test another site, whether you test when they were diagnosed or maybe five years later if they have a recurrence and they're looking for treatment. There are some targeted therapies um, that are approved that um, can select out for uh, rare populations. So there are people who don't have RAS mutations in their tumor, and I would say that over time, you would still say they don't have RAS mutations, but sometimes we detect a small population that can grow out and they can have some resistance. So I would say that while that's a marker that's there and that's the uh, um, almost like the quality of the tumor, that how it developed, um, it can um, have some populations that aren't quite the same as the initial population, and that can come out with targeted therapy. We're not so smart yet to know how to act on it, but I think there'll come a point when we start giving targeted therapy in a way that is more dynamic. We can start and stop it. We can start a treatment and then see changes in the tumor and switch. And by doing that, we'll probably get a lot more mileage. So now we give it, and we give it as long as it works. And in a best-case scenario, say we get a, about a year out of it, and we're happy we, you know, we're able to control the tumor that way. But if we could give the treatment and as we see that something is changing, we could maybe hold back or use a new drug, we might be able to extend it a lot longer. But in general, the, the uh, RAST as a marker or some of the other genetic uh, alterations like HER2 amplification, patients may hear about trials or new treatments for HER2 amplification. That's something that occurs early in the tumor. So either the tumor is HER2 amplified or it's not, or BRAF mutation. Again, it's something that um, will qualify you for targeted therapy, and either it's there and it's detected or it, it's not there. We don't think of it uh, as something that's going to change. Interesting. So Dr. Yeager, it seems like implementing biomarkers as, as standard or as part of the cancer treatment plan um, is it's kind of the maybe the future maybe it's it's just happening now but do you see it progressing more and um, do you see just really this targeted like precision medicine approach as being really the future of how we treat cancer? I think we're all hoping we're hoping we'll be able to be smarter and uh, use the information about how 
what's uh, going on in the tumor to uh, personalize treatment. So we know a lot about colorectal cancer, but we um, our treatments haven't changed that much um, over the past few years. And so the hope is now we can take all that information to maybe um, uh, develop better, more matched therapies and also uh, give them in a smarter way. But there's, uh, there's clearly work to do, but I think we have um, you know, new technology like the circulating free DNA technology and some new therapies that hopefully we'll be able to do better there. Well, Dr. Yeager, thank you so much for your time today and for your great overview. And um, we really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining our Tabuti podcast. Remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your doctor. Thank you.